So I took one of those life expectancy calculators, went online, you can punch it in, you can find one of those life insurance companies, can I tell you, based upon how, you, how old you are now, how, how you live, you're male, you're married, you know, those kinds of things, whether or not you smoke, you know, how, how long you can expect to live. There's a 75% chance that I'm going to live to be 87 years old. 87 years old. That's 50 more years. That's more than twice as long as I've lived so far. 87 years old. How am I going to make it that long? You know, for some of you, it kind of feels like life, like, like the time is, is shorter. For, for some of us, life is harder. For most of us, before the end, it is going to get hard. So how do we, how do we keep going? How do we keep going in life, in these bodies that are breaking down in this life? How, how do we keep going? How do we keep growing in obedience? And we have, the, we have those same problems that are common to all humanity, but much more, we, we have the difficulties that come with being a Christian. That can mean mild to severe persecution. It, it, even if persecution is mild, even if the difficulties associated with being a Christian are mild, in some ways, externally, we still have the difficulty of daily obedience. It is, it is sometimes hard to obey God, to keep obeying God day after day, to keep trying to please Him and, and follow His ways and to, and to live by faith in Him, by faith in His promises. It, it, it can be difficult. How do, you, how do we keep going? How do we keep growing in obedience to God? What I hope you'll see today is that we continue to please God in these bodies by looking to eternity. We keep, we keep living obediently now. We keep living by faith now because we are looking toward an eternal glory. We are looking toward eternal life. Life now depends on the sustaining ability of our focus on eternity. And so with that in mind, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 4. That's where we're going to start today. 2 Corinthians 4. What I want you to see first is an eternal glory. 2 Corinthians 4, an eternal glory. 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, starting with verse 13, read verses 13 through 18, an eternal glory. Read with me in your own copy of God's word. This is what it says. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Oh, we're mainly focusing, starting to focus here on verses 16 through 18, but I want you to catch the flow of thought that Paul has as he moves from verses 13 through 15 into verses 16 through 18. He says in verse 16, so we do, do not lose heart. 
he's making a conclusion from what he said before. So, so what is that conclusion based on? I think primarily we could sum it up based on verse, on verse 14. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. There is the expectation for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ that we are going to be raised the same way that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ died. He died for our sins to take away, to take our penalty for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again. He appeared to many. He appeared to apostles like Paul. And they became witnesses and they testified to us. That he is risen from the dead. And so our expectation is, is that we're going to be raised with Jesus Christ. So that's our hope. We're, keep, we're going to keep looking to that. So that's the conclusion that he makes. We do not lose heart. We do not give up. We do not shrink back. Because we know that we're going to be raised with Jesus. He goes on from there, though our outer self, he's been talking there about, uh, about his afflictions. He's been talking about his difficulties. He's been talking about uh, the, the, the sufferings that he's faced and the, the hardships that he's faced as an apostle uh, and as an example of what the Christian life looks like. That it does not look like a, a path of glory. It looks like a path of crucifixion. It looks like somebody who is dying every day. And so he says, our, our outer selves, our bodies are wasting away. Even while our inner self is being renewed day by day. We're talking about, talking about you have to recognize that, that the, the big picture of the New Testament is that we are living in this present time in an overlap between the ages. So there is a continuing age of, of corruption, the continuing creation that is, that is subject to, to corruption that, is brought, that was brought into the world by sin. And yet at the same time, those of us who trust in Jesus Christ are already experiencing the age to come. That is the age of the Spirit in which everything would be made right. And so here we, we are experiencing this in our very own beings. So our, our outer selves, typically thought we think of as our bodies, or the, the part of us that is relating to the outside world, but, but the, extending beyond our bodies, just our, our, our outer life is passing away. It has, it's still tied to, to this age and it's passing away. It's wasting away. It's decaying. It's, it's in the process of going away. At the same time, our inner life, our inner life has been given new life by the Spirit of God. And our inner life is being renewed day by day. It's being made new. It's being transformed. This is, this is a transformation that is, that is brought about by the Spirit. He talks about in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that the more that we contemplate Jesus Christ, the image of Jesus Christ, the Spirit is transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. We are being made like Him. So the whole time we are walking through this world, we are, we are keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ. We have been made, uh, we have been given the ability to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And so the the more that we, we think about him, the more that we devote our thoughts to him, the more we are being transformed into his image. We are being renewed. We are being transformed. We are being changed inwardly even while our bodies, our bodies are wasting away. Our bodies are suffering hardship. Our bodies are suffering difficulty. Our bodies are, are facing all kinds of afflictions of various kinds. Those common to humanity and even more so those things that are associated with being a Christian, with following Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross. We are following him in a, in a cruciform way. We're taking up our own crosses. And so he says that's what's happening. The, the reason why we, we are being renewed day by day, the reason why we do not lose heart he starts to give the reason in verse 17. He says that our present afflictions 
are light and momentary. They're light. Don't wait. They're, they're, not, they're not very hard. And they don't last very long. Now then, think about what Paul has been saying in 2 Corinthians. Does it sound like his sufferings and his afflictions have been light? He says at one point that he anticipated execution, that he had already come to the conclusion that there was nothing left to do except expect death. Well, that that doesn't sound light. That does not sound like his, his imprisonments, his hardships, his, his inner anguish as, as, the, as he suffered, as he agonized over the churches. It, it doesn't seem light. What's more, it doesn't seem momentary. It looks like pretty continuous. It seemed like Paul bounced from adversity to adversity, from affliction to affliction, the same way that it looks like, hey, as soon as we get through one problem in life, we are faced by another problem in life doesn't look light. doesn't look momentary. I want you to think about that because I don't think that when Paul says, hey, it's light and momentary, he means, hey, it's not really suffering. Don't, don't, he, there's nothing in here about what Paul says that says, hey, it, it's not really that bad. It's not really hard. He's pretty, pretty blunt about how hard it can be to live, to keep going in life. He knows how hard it is. He's an example of how hard it is. But what, how, how is it light and momentary? Well, it's light and momentary when you compare it to what's coming, to the eternal weight of glory. So our present afflictions, our present difficulties are momentary. They, they don't last very long. It's just a, it's just a fleeting glimpse. It's, it's a, this is one of those good ways in which, hey, it's really good that our lives are like a breath. It's, it's, it, because that means that our difficulties in life are only a breath. It means they're only a mist. They're not going to last very long. This, this life is not very long. It's not, there's not much to it. It seems, seems difficult to think that way while you're in it. But that's the way that it is compared to the eternity that's coming. So, so when we compare our present afflictions to Eternity, it's nothing. It's nothing. That's not to say that the sufferings aren't real. The sufferings are real. But they are momentary. They are ephemeral. They are, they are nothing compared to the eternity that is coming. To the eternal glory. We have eternal glory laid up for us with Jesus Christ. And he says not only that, but it is not our our. our Afflictions now, our difficulties now, our hardships now are light compared to the weight of glory. You, know, you think of those, those uh, scales uh, that we have no experience with, but we see them different places, right? The, if you were to put all of your afflictions, keep heaping all your afflictions, if we were to combine all of our afflictions in some kind of weighty kind of way, if we were to try to take everything that we have experienced that is hard and difficult in life, in the Christian life, and we piled it on one end of the scale, it would not even begin to bring up the weight of glory that is set before us. So comparatively, All these afflictions that we are facing, all these difficulties, all these hardships are light and momentary. We need to think this way. We need to be compassionate toward one another when we see each other suffering. There's no sense in which we should be discompassionate or apathetic 
as if it wasn't really suffering. And yet when we contemplate the suffering of the Christian life, it is nothing compared to the eternal glory. Nothing. How much of our anxiety and fear in life is because we think this is never going to end and this is too much for us to handle? It's not too heavy and it's not going to last too long. Not compared with the eternal weight of glory that is coming for us. Now then, I want you to, uh, and before I, before I even go further, we don't, have not even come close to talking about, thinking about, to in any way expressing in words what this is like. That's what Paul says. It is without comparison, beyond all comparison. If we sat here and we continued, if this became a really, really, it's already a really long sermon, but if it became a really, really, really long sermon and we kept on, we kept on going and we kept on talking, we kept on searching for words to describe the eternal glory that is going to be ours in Christ Jesus, we could not exhaust words or thoughts. It's so much better than you think it is. It's so much better than our minds are, are capable of comprehending. It is so much better than, than we act like it is. Let us believe this glory is ours because we have put our faith in Christ Jesus. We will be raised with him. Now then, one, one other thing. This, these light momentary afflictions are not only compared to an eternal weight of glory, but they are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It is not that we are, we are receiving an eternal weight of glory despite our present afflictions. It is that God is actually working our good through the present difficulties. This is why we can count it all joy in various kinds of trials. Because every trial is working good for us. Every trial is working for us an eternal weight of glory. It's not, just that, it's not just that we are getting an eternal weight of glory despite our present sufferings. It is that in some way God in his great wisdom, in his incredible power, he is working an eternal weight of glory for us through our present afflictions. We would not know the glory that we will have apart from God's plan to use our present sufferings puts a whole new spin on the way we think about things. This is, this is, this is bringing us closer. This is building up. This is, this is working for us. Every difficulty, every hardship is working for our good. Well, he goes on from there. How do we, how do we begin to think this way? How do, we, how do we understand our sufferings as light and momentary? It is because we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Hey, I can, I can look at some of y'all, you know, and, and if I live to be 50 more years and I'm pastoring here for 50 more years, well, then I'm going to, you're going to see changes in me. I'm going to see changes in you. We're going to look at our outer life, our, our outer life. Some of you are, are going to get sick. Some of you are going to get fit. Some of you are going to, you know, some of you are going to, going to do all kinds of, there's going to be all kinds of changing. Some of you are going to grow up. But. But that, that, those are the things that are seen. Some of you are going to become wealthy and some of you are going to become poor. Some of you are going to, going to face all kinds of, of trouble. But those are the things that are seen. We see what's happening in the outer life, but that's not where our focus is. 
That is not where we are looking. Think about running the race. We're not, we're not looking at our feet. We're looking at the tape. We're looking at the finish line. We're looking ahead. We're looking to the glory. So we're not looking at the things that are seen. He says the things that are seen are transient, just passing through, like cars on the freeway. That's what all of our lives are like. You look, you look out, if you could, you look at the cars going over overpasses, it's life. That's this world. That's our bodies, transient. The glory that's coming is eternal. What's unseen is eternal. What's unseen, what is being renewed in us internally is eternal. Nothing, nothing that we are doing is wasted. When we are being transformed inwardly by our thoughts of Jesus Christ, by our continual devotion to Jesus Christ, by our continuing reflection upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are, we're not wasting our time because this is, because this is not really going to be in use to us in the future. No, our, our disciplining ourselves for godliness, our, our thoughts of Jesus Christ, our, our continual reflection upon the gospel is, is a part of the unseen reality that's happening within us and that is con- going to continue through eternity. That's where we keep our focus. How much of our present fear, our present anxiety, our present idolatry, our present temptation, our present problems is because our focus is on what can be seen. It's because of our focus on our outer selves. The world is concerned with the preservation and enrichment of the outer self. It is concerned with making sure our bodies appear young, uh, no matter how old we are, it is to continually look and, and feel and continue sort of some sort of fountain of youth. It is to continue some, 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 some form of, of greater enrichment, greater security, greater comfort, greater, greater building up that comes through the, through the power of wealth. It, it comes that way. That is the way that some people even think of the life. Some, of the, some people think of the Christian life as something that, is, is something that causes the outer self to prosper. The reality is, is that the Christian life is about the, the prospering or the increase or the renewal or the transformation of the inner life. The inner life is going to last for eternity. You can, you can begin to do what Jesus commanded us to do. Do not worry. You begin to not worry by focusing on, not on the things that are seen but on the things that are unseen. Not worrying about your body, not worrying about your outer life, not worrying about what, what will happen in this present age, but, but thinking about and focusing on what is coming. Let us think that way. Let us focus on that life. All right, so we've talked about the eternal glory that is coming, but Paul begins to reflect even more on our bodies. So pick up with me in verses 1 through 5 where we see an eternal house, an eternal house. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5, an eternal house. This is what it says. For we know that the tent, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 
He who has prepared for us this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He begins to use an image, the images, the first image that he uses, the image of, of buildings or dwellings. He talks about our earthly home. Our earthly home is a tent. The tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. It, it is on its way to being destroyed. If it is destroyed, it's just a tent. Nothing wrong with a good tent. Paul made tents. Sometimes it's appropriate to live in a tent. It's a very temporary dwelling. Wears out much more easily than a, than a building does. That's his point. That's the, that's the use of the image. He says, hey, we're, we, are, we are on a temporary, uh, temporary journey through life in a tent that is not going to last into eternity. It's going to be destroyed. But we're not going to lose hope. We're not going to become discouraged because we have a building from God. Not, not a tent, not something that is, not something that is going to wear away, but a building from God, uh, a, a body that is prepared for us, given to us by God, and it's made, it's made not with hands. You know, everything that human beings make, even the, even, even the most permanent structures are going to fall apart. This is a building made without human hands. It's made by God. God has made it so that it would last, not last a really long time, not last a hundred years or, or like some buildings that we are fascinated by in, in Europe or, or various places or hundreds of years or, or even buildings that have, that have been around over a thousand years. We're talking about a building that is, is created for eternity, a body that is designed for eternity. A house made not with hands, it is eternal in the heavens. It is secured for us. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and when he rose from the dead, he secured a people for himself. He secured a church. He secured a people who would be raised from the dead with a body like his. He purchased it. He bought it. He bought our bodies. You have been bought with a price is the way Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6. We'll come back to that in a minute. You've been bought with a price. Your bodies have been bought. What's more, Jesus Christ bought you a body that is eternal in the heavens. So what that means is that in the present, in this present, living in the tent, walking in the tent, living in the tent, in this tent we groan. We want to put on the heavenly dwelling. We want to, we want to put on resurrection bodies. If indeed by putting on, it on, we may not be found naked. Paul's, Paul's ultimate hope, the, the hope is, hey, we, we go straight from these earthly bodies into our permanent resurrection bodies. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 that for everybody who is alive at the return of Jesus Christ, there is this instantaneous transformation that happens where our bodies are transformed. That, that, that's what we want more than anything. That's one of the reasons why we, we are so longing and so eager to see the return of Jesus Christ is because whatever else we might have planned in this life, it is nothing compared to what is coming when Jesus Christ returns. We would gladly give up the res- I'll gladly give up the next 50 years, the next several decades, everything else that this life has to see Jesus Christ, to put on the body that he has ready for me, to live in the world that he is bringing. And he says there, you know, we don't want to be, we don't want to be found without a body. 
In this tent, we, we groan. He, he kind of switches from the image of, of buildings to the image of clothing. So he says, we're, we're, in this body, in this tent, we groan. We're groaning out of a longing. We're burdened. The goal, though, is not that we would be unclothed, but that we would, we would be further clothed. He's going against a Greek idea, an old Greek idea, that, that really the goal is to be a disembodied spirit, to be a disembodied soul for eternity. That really what we need is, is to be freed from our bodies. That's, that's not the idea that's, that's talked about in the Old Testament. It's not what's taught uh, in, in the whole idea of creation uh, or even as we progress in our understanding of, of resurrection as we go through the Bible. It's not to be disembodied, but to be further clothed. God designed human beings to be spirits in bodies, whole beings, spirit and body. And he intends for the future to be, for eternity to be, after the turn of Jesus Christ, to be, for us to live in resurrection bodies. So that kind of gives us an idea of how we think about death. It would not be exactly correct to think that Christians celebrate death. We don't celebrate death. Death is a result of sin coming into the world. What Christians celebrate is resurrection. So we would much prefer that Jesus Christ would return before we die and that we would be immediately transformed. But whatever the case is, he says that what we want is for Jesus Christ to return. What we want is to be clothed. He says at the end of verse 4, he says, so that what is mortal, our mortal bodies, our dying bodies, our, our bodies that are subject to death, will be swallowed up by life. Just there are so many images that don't even come close to capturing it. But just the uh, 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 that that word is is does it stick in your mind? A swallow to to have your to have your whole body swallowed by life to be to be completely wrapped in to be formed in to be to be made to put off the way that Paul talks about in First Corinthians fifteen to put off mortality and to put on immortality to put off what is perishable to put on what is imperishable. Your whole being swallowed up by life. You think about your body wasting away. Think about your body going through all kinds of difficulty. You have a body that's prepared for you in heaven. What, is, what, is our, what ought our eager anticipation to be except that Jesus Christ would return and that we would put on the body that he's prepared for us? There's nothing better than that. To think like a Christian is begin to think like that. Verse 5, he says, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God. God has done all this. God, the, the building, the body that is made without hands, God made it. God has made it. God has secured it. And he has given us the spirit as a guarantee. That is, he's already talked about in Second Corinthians, that the Holy Spirit makes it so that we can see. He's the one who makes it so that those who believe can see the glory of God. Those who, those who were dead in their sins, they are made alive by the Spirit. Those who were not, God spoke into being the, the life so that they would see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but the Spirit is presently transforming us. As we, as we think about the gospel, as we, as we reflect on the gospel, as we reflect upon what, what Jesus Christ has done for us, how he saved us. That we're transformed in his image. So the, the Spirit has opened our eyes. 
He's enlightened us to the glory of God. And he is transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. How do we know if we have the Spirit as a guarantee? We know beginning because we believe in Jesus Christ. We've seen the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have received the gospel as life. Other people, other people who are perishing, other people who are unbelieving, to them the gospel is the stench of death. But to those of us who are believing and being saved, it is life. It smells like life. It is the aroma of life. It It is the blinding light of the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have the guarantee of the Spirit if we believe in Jesus Christ and if we are being transformed, if we are being made to be like Jesus Christ. I hope that you, I think, I think back over the, over the past year, maybe just a little bit more of, of what we've been seeing in the Scriptures, what we've heard from the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians and John, uh, now in 2 Corinthians. I hope you have a much richer and deeper understanding of the work of the Spirit than maybe you had before. And I think that, I think that uh, not to be unfair and, and, and hopefully not generalize unfairly, but, uh, but for some conservative evangelicals, the, the Spirit is certainly, certainly want to profess the, uh, the, the orthodox understanding of the Spirit, but the Spirit seems to be forgotten or, or overlooked or, or misunderstood. Uh, if we look at, in, in charismatic circles, the, the life of the Spirit is, is nothing but the spectacular. It's, it's, it's the great and powerful and glorious and wonderful things that the Spirit does. But if we think about what the Spirit does based upon what the Scriptures teach, we see that the Spirit of God searches out the deep things of God and then reveals them to us. The, the Holy Spirit causes us to see the glory of the gospel, to see the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit has, has caused us to see. The Spirit has given us new life. The Spirit is the one who causes us to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, as, it, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. It's the Spirit of God that, that causes us to love the way, that, the way that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the Spirit of God that enables us to build up other people, to build up the church. It's the Spirit of God that we've looked at in 2 Corinthians it's the Spirit of God who makes us to see the gospel. It makes us to see glory. And here we see that the Spirit is our guarantee. This body that is prepared for us, this eternal weight of glory that is for us in the future, the Holy Spirit has been given to us now to guarantee, to guarantee, to, to act as a kind of collateral that we would most assuredly, securely see the face of God, to see the glory of God. To experience the eternal weight of glory that is prepared for us. To live in this, in this eternal house that is prepared for us. That's what the Spirit does. Reflect on the Spirit. Think about the Spirit. Think about what the Spirit does for us. It is God who has done these great marvelous works for us. And it is the Spirit who is the life giver. For every one of you who believe in Jesus Christ. is because Jesus Christ died on the cross. It's because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's because Jesus Christ ascended. When he ascended, he sent his spirit to be in his people, to dwell with us, to dwell in us. How glorious is the work of the spirit? How much, how much richer and deeper is that than, many, than what many of us have thought of as the work of the spirit? He is our guarantee. All right, so finally we see that, that with an eternal glory and an eternal house, we also have an eternal goal. 
Read verses 6 through 10 with me. It says, so we are always of good courage. Just, just make sure you're making that connection back to what we've just looked at. The passing away of our present bodies, the hope of an eternal glory in the future, eternal bodies in the future, an eternal home with God. We're always of good courage, no matter what the hardships are. Back to verse 6, though. He says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We're always of good courage. Because we know that we know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. What's he mean by that? When he's talking about there, there is a, a likelihood that in Corinth there was uh, what, what we could think of as an, uh, an over-realized eschatology. That is, there was an expectation that all of this glory that is future, that we would already be experiencing now. There might have even been some people who said, well, we're already with the Lord. We've already got everything. Why is, why is somebody like Paul, who's supposed to be an apostle, why is he suffering? Why is he having all these difficulties? Why is he having all these hardships? If he were really spiritual, if he were really living the gospel the way that he was supposed to, if he was really living out this glorious life that he was supposed to live, well, you know, it wouldn't be like this. We've all, we're already with the Lord. But, but Paul says, he says, while we're in this body, we know we're not with the Lord yet. He says, instead, we are walking now by faith, not by sight. We're not, we're not expecting our lives now to be glorious. We're not expecting them to appear glorious. We're not expecting them to, be, uh, to, be, uh, to, to, look, to look like some, some kind of awesome show uh, that would obviously, uh, that, that we would walk down the street, that we would, that we would obviously be those. Those are, those are Christians. Look how, look how glorious they are. Look, look, how, look how they glow and levitate and, and, and experience the inner light of translucent something. I, you know, like, like that, that is not the, that's not the idea. The idea is that right now, man, we, we walk around and it looks like our bodies are fading away. It looks like we're going through all kinds of difficulty. It looks like the way Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if, we didn't, if we didn't believe in the resurrection, we would be people who should be pitied. If you don't believe this, but you live like a Christian, you should be pitied because there you are going through the, going through the sufferings of life and striving for obedience and, 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 and suffering as a Christian, and you don't even believe anything after that. The, the, whole, the whole goal, though, the focus is, is that, that we're believing the promises of God. This glory is ours. This house is ours. The body is ours. The resurrection is ours. We're in Christ Jesus. So we walk by faith and not by sight. He says, he says it again, verse 8. He says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You know, there are some deductions that we can make there from what life after death is like. So on the one hand, if we die in Christ, always the, the New Testament everywhere represents that the resurrection would occur simultaneously with the return of Jesus Christ. So we should not think, on the one hand, that as soon as we die, that we would receive these resurrection bodies. We would not receive our resurrection bodies until the return of Jesus Christ. At the same time, there shouldn't be a sense that 
if, if we die, that we are in some kind of limbo or soul sleep until the return of Jesus Christ. Instead, the reality is what theologians have called the intermediate state, which doesn't sound very awesome at all, but it really is. It's really, it's really wonderful. The consolation, the comfort of every Christian in death is that they would be with the Lord. And that's not some unconscious limbo or soul sleep, but it is in some way a being at home with the Lord. It is a conversing with the Lord, a, a some way being in personal fellowship with the Lord, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think about, when we think about the future, intermediate state that may not get you very hopeful, but being with the Lord, that ought to make you very hopeful. That ought to be the great consolation, the great comfort, even as our bodies wear out. Even as if, if things continue, we'll all die. But the comfort of every Christian is that until Jesus Christ does return, we'll be with the Lord. We'll be this kind of temporary, temporary state that we'll be in. We'll temporarily be without the clothing of our bodies. And yet we will be comforted with the Lord. That's a good thing. Now I think you can say it at a Christian's funeral, hey, they're in a better place. I want you to say, if, if I die, if you, and you're there, say, Andy, Andy Wayne Chance is most definitely in a better place. He's with the Lord. And that's where he always wanted to be. It's where we want to be. Well, he goes from there into verses 9 and 10, how to think about our, if this is, if this is our, our present, we're presently going through all these difficulties and we're facing these things, how are we to continue in our present bodies? Well, he says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's why I say this is an eternal goal. Our eternal goal is to please God. Okay, whether, whether we're in these bodies, whether we're out of these bodies with the Lord, or one day after the return of Jesus Christ, we will be in new resurrection bodies. Our desire, our goal always is to please the Lord, is to please him. Once we were people who did not want to please God, that is not what we wanted to do. That naturally by birth, we were turned away from God. We were turned in on ourselves. We were self-centered, self-glorifying, self-deifying, self-worshipping. We were not trying to please God. We were trying to please ourselves. Now for those who see Jesus Christ by the Spirit, who have been transformed by the Spirit of God, the goal is no longer to please ourselves, but to please God. That's, that's eternal. That's something that is already a part, of the, a part of the renewal or the transformation that's already happening in our inner lives is that we want to please God. I want you to even reflect upon that. Many of us struggle with sin. Uh, I, I, I said that wrong. All of us struggle with sin. Even in the midst of our struggles with sin, what is your desire? I hope that your desire is to please the Lord. That desire to please the Lord, that's from the Spirit of God. What's more than that is the same Spirit that gives you the desire to please the Lord also gives you the power to please the Lord. As we'll memorize next week, he, he, work, his, he wills and works in us. He gives us both the desire and the ability to please God. So be, be encouraged. You may be struggling with sin. You are struggling with sin. You may be struggling with the same sin. 
If your desire is to please the Lord, there is every reason to hope that God is going to give you power over that sin and you are going to know freedom from that sin in every ever increasing degrees. Now then he says, because we we are trying to please him because or for verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's a little bit to untangle here. We're talking about talking about Christians at least some of them being Christians, those who do good, appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. So what, what, does, that, what does that mean? Stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive back what we have done, what is our due, what is our payback for what we have done in the body. So think about, think about what you're doing in the body. Paul is continuing his, his understanding of what we do in this body. He says... What you do in this body, good or evil, you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, let's start with what it means if you do evil. That's simpler. The simple answer is that if you continually, habitually, without repentance or transformation, continue to do evil in this body, then you go to hell. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, this is Paul speaking. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul's making it clear, and I think he means there those who are, who are not repenting, who are not turning from their sins, who, who are habitually, continually, without, without repentance, without transformation, continuing in their sin. When you stand before Jesus Christ... The only thing that awaits you is eternal destruction. That's what it means to stand before Christ if you do evil in the body. But what about for the Christian who stands before Jesus Christ? Well, let's be clear about two parts first, what it does not mean. Firstly, it does not mean that any Christian should ever anticipate or live in dread of condemnation before God. Paul is very clear labors to make himself clear that everybody who trusts in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for you. There is no expectation that you would appear before Christ at his return and that there would be some sense of dread, there's some sense of, of, of anxiety about appearing before Jesus Christ because for everybody who is trusted in Jesus Christ, the, you are never going to be condemned. Instead, you are absolutely assured that God is going to declare you righteous and accept you into his presence. That's the, that's the reality. That's the truth. That is the gospel. That sinners like us who turn from God, who in every way corrupted by our own sin from our own sinful natures, while we were still God, ungodly, Christ died for us. And he assures us in every way that, that we do not have to fear condemnation from God. Condemnation from Christ at the judgment day. Well, it also doesn't mean that any of us are going to stand before God and in any way be made right with God by our own works. No one is going to merit or work hard enough or do enough good works to earn a right standing with God. Paul makes it very clear in Philippians 3. He talks about, I have renounced my righteousness. 
He has in no way placed any confidence in his own righteousness. His, his own righteousness, he, he considers it to be filthy rags. He considers it to be rubbish. He considers it to be, uh, the word is scubala. And it's, a, it's an almost un, untranslatable word that just means the absolute filth, sewage of my own righteousness. I have renounced it, considered it to be nothing, in order that I would be considered only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Only by faith in Jesus Christ that God would look at me as as having the the righteousness of Jesus Christ counted as mine. So we do not hope, I'm sorry, we do not fear condemnation from God at, at the judgment, nor do we hope that by our works we would be made right with God at the judgment. Instead, we know that we will be accepted by God, that we will be declared right on the last day by our faith in Jesus Christ and by the righteousness that he worked for us on the cross. And so there's none of that. So, if it doesn't mean that, what does it mean? It means that God rewards his people for doing good. That's, a good, that's good news. That's a good thing. You see other verses like this. We see someplace like Ephesians 6, 8. It says, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Uh, Jesus teaches in Matthew 6. He talks about the good that you do in secret. Do it for the, for the Father. The Father will reward you. The Father rewards his people for doing good. That's, that's, that is mind-blowing. Why, why, why would that be? I mean, you think about, we, we are not, we do not have, on the judgment day, we do not have any of our sins counted against us. We do we, we not receive any of the, of the retribution that we deserve for our sins. Instead, we are accepted before God only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What's more, all of the good that we do is only acceptable before God because of the death of Jesus Christ. And what's more, all of the good that we do is empowered and enabled and, and, and driven by the Spirit. And then, on top of that, God rewards the good that we do. As good fathers reward their sons, as, as good bosses reward their employees, as, as good uh, government officials reward those who do good, the, the ultimate authority, the ultimate good, our Father, our God rewards people for doing good. And then there are always, always people have difficulty with this sometimes. Doesn't that suggest some kind of, of inequality? Well, it's our culture that is obsessed with equality. That, that believes that there can be no happiness unless there is complete equality. The reality is, is that when, when God gives rewards for what has been done good in the body, nobody is going to think that they were treated unfairly. Nobody is going to be envious. Nobody is going to be proud. Everybody is going to be happy, even if some have greater greater capacity for happiness, as some theologians have described it. So God rewards us for the good that we do. Now then, let's go back to our main line of thought. The good or the bad that we do in the body. What's Paul talking about? He's he's saying to us, go do good in this body while you can. Do more and more good. You have every incentive. You have every inducement. You have every reason to go and do good. 
you know, some of the, some of the people in Corinth didn't think. They thought that since the body was passing away, there was no, there was no need to do good in the body. They gave themselves to sexual immorality. They gave themselves to idolatry and division. It didn't matter what you did in the body. God, uh, Paul says, God says, what you do in the body matters. What you do in the body that you have is eternally significant. Don't ever think, and some people think of, of, of salvation as if it made everything that you do in this body as if it didn't matter. Paul says, what you do, good and bad, in this body matters. So go do good. So let's try and think of, as a whole, everything that Paul's been saying here. He says, we are, we are facing hardships, afflictions. We are seeing our bodies uh, fade away. We are seeing our outer selves, uh, outer selves waste away. What how should we feel about that? We should not lose heart. We should not be discouraged. We should not give up because we know that there's an eternal weight of glory ahead for us. We know that there is a house for us in the heavens. And if we know that, if we are even now doing everything that we can to try to please God, then we're going to try and please God in the bodies that we have now. We're going to keep trying to please God for as long as we live. We live one more year, five more years, ten more years, fifty more years. Our goal is always going to be out of our hope, out of our faith, out of our faith that grows from knowing that we have an eternal glory, an eternal house. The faith that grows out of that, we're going to keep trying to please God because what we do in this body matters. So we do good. Even as, even as Paul says in, in Galatians 6, we do not weary, grow weary in doing good. The prospect of keep on doing good in the face of hardship, that, that can be a wearying thought. Sometimes we get weary. He says, do not grow weary because you will reap if you do not give up. God will reward every one of us who hopes in Jesus Christ and presses on and pushes on. And keep that in mind. Let, let that have its full effect in you. That God has done everything for you. He has prepared a body for you. He has prepared an eternal way of glory for you. It is the spirit who is the guarantee. It is the spirit who has opened our eyes. It is the spirit who has made us new creations. It is the spirit who is working in us to cause us to please God. It is the spirit that works in us good works. And God intends to reward the very good works that the spirit works in us. That seems completely undeserving. It's because it is. It is the grace of God from beginning to end that he would save sinners like us. And yet it is the glorious reality of all those who trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, grant that the same hope that was in Paul, the same hope that he proclaimed, that would be the hope that is in all of us. A hope, a faith, a belief, a steadfast assurance, a confidence. That whatever we're seeing in our outer selves, in our outer life, it is, it is light and momentary. It is transient. It is passing away. It is, it is vanishing. But what remains for us is eternal life, eternal glory, an eternal home. Help us to focus on that. Keep, to keep our minds and our eyes, the eyes of our hearts on, on those things that are unseen so that we might not grow weary of doing good, that we would continue on doing more and more, more that is pleasing to you, more that is pleasing to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to continue to do good, knowing that you, you reward those who do good. 
In Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, we ask for your aid. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.